ready for Ephesians. We have finished Galatians as far as the topic of salvation is concerned. Uh, why don't you read verses 1 to 14. Is this the King James Version? Yeah. Uh, chapter 1? Yeah. 1 to 14? Mm-hmm. Okay. 2, 14. Okay. Paul? Uh, no, through 14. Oh, through 14. Okay. Paul, an epistle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace, for God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in his, him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, and without blame before him in love, having predestined us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one of all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purposes of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Why? Paul can be long-winded, can't he? Why? <laughs> but did you hear anything over and over and over again? Well, one thing is that Christ is very specific about blessing us and that he wants us. Yeah. But did you hear any little phrase repeated over and over well, I'm reading it, it didn't come Yeah, to okay. Well, it came to me. The first verse that I'm going to look at is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption to his children through Christ, and that he might freely bestow on us in the, the glorious grace that he might freely bestow on us in the Beloved. This in Christ, in Christ, through Christ, in the Beloved. And that just goes all the way through, it seems like, uh, in various forms. Um, verse 9, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. And verse 11, in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance so that we, verse 12, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. 
And I think that's where it ends. But it's, it's, re- it's really clear that everything that comes to us comes through Christ, in Christ. Through Christ. Yeah. But in Christ means that we have an abiding connection mm. to Christ. In other words, that believing Jesus is really trusting Jesus. When you have trust in someone, you have a relationship with them. You, there's no way to get around that. So the verses that say if we believe in Jesus, we're saved. Well, the word for belief in, in Greek is the same as the word for trust. Okay. So if we trust in God. If we trust in Jesus. That, what about the word predestination? Or predest- yeah, um, my version has he destined us. That's what? My version has he destined us. Destined, Okay. And I, I think that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't think we need predestined. Yeah. I don't think I think that's something that came out of Calvinism mm. that's been interpolated into translations. I think the word probably means just destined. Mm-hmm. So look at the metaphors here for salvation. There's a lot of them. He destined us for adoption, verse five. Mm. So the adoption metaphor. As his children. Through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. In him we have redemption. The word redemption. Right. That's another metaphor. Uh, through his blood. For the forgiveness of our sins. So you have forgiveness of our sins. And then the riches of his grace they lavished on us. And we've, and we've in a, as because of our adoption we've obtained an inheritance. Which has been, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things through his word uh, in him so you have the gospel of your salvation the pledge of our inheritance and the redemption of God's own people for the praise of his glory so this is a very fruitful passage for the different metaphors for adoption, for redemption for inheritance forgiveness but in 13 you're sealed you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I think that's beyond a little bit beyond salvation. Oh, oh. I, I think so. Uh, he he doesn't. Paul does not separate the two mm. here. So it strikes me this is kind of comprehensive in terms of the metaphors used. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't see any legal metaphors except for inheritance. I don't see penal substitution here. No, no. It, it's just interesting. Now, of course. Our friends who love the penal substitution model will argue that Romans 3 has the substitution, penal substitution. But there is, if you study out all of Paul, there's other ways to read this. And, and current New Testament scholars, a lot of them, don't read it the substitutionary, penal substitutionary way, like M.T. Wright, for example. Mm. He's very opposed to penal substitution and contends that Paul does not teach it. Well, I don't get it in these first verses here. No, it's not here. And it doesn't indicate in any way that Christ is then standing between us and God. Hmm. No, Paul doesn't teach that. The only ones reconciled are us. We are reconciled to God. But he doesn't even use that language here. 
And I wanted to mention, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, verse 4, we can't be holy and blameless any other way than through love. And people who have a long list of, of deeds to be done and sins to be shunned don't usually have love on their list. But that whole list that they have is not doable, except through love. But it doesn't say, without blame before him, in the law. or uh, No, they want to be holy and blameless in love. Right, in love. Well, look at Matthew 5. I'll do a little Bible study here. The last part, 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's perfection, is loving your enemies. All the other stuff that Jesus talks about, about the law, and and chapter 5, starting with verse 17, is all about Jesus' exposition on the law. Hmm. he takes it to the inner person and says, no, it's not enough to refrain from committing adultery. If you think a lustful thought, in other words, if you think to possess a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Or um, if, if you even say, are angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. Um, he takes it into the inner being, into the emotional hmm. being. And he says, you know, it's just not enough to have a superficial external obedience. Now, given that, if you really have to have a heart not to be angry, it's because you love your brother. And if you don't commit adultery with a woman in your mind, it's because you love your wife or you love that woman's husband. It... it it, it's all predicated on love here. Mm. And so that's why Jesus can say at the end, you therefore are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or to use a closer sense of the Greek, you must be mature as your Heavenly Father is mature. So we can uh, give forget forgiveness from the Lord, and He loves us, and He's set up a path to save us. But when the Lord, after he was risen and stuff, in the verse that talks about that he was made perfect, which means his character, his human character was made perfect. His, he was made mature through suffering. Mature. That's, why, that's why it's really an error to translate perfect. It's really more mature. More mature. So he was declared mature. He, he was made mature through suffering. Right. But... I want to say one other thing. Um, so he wasn't punished. No. And so much of the Christian doctrine is that he was punished. 
or just religions of the world. He, the weight of the sins of the world fell on him. On him. He made, was made to be sin who knew no sin. Right. But, but it's it not, no it's not of God punitively right. killing his right. son. So, um, one of the things I'd like to look at is, okay, First uh, John three thirteen or three fourteen. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. When that trust relationship has been found in Christ, immediately the result is that you love other people instead of being sucked, stuck on yourself. That's, that's how it worked with me. The night that I found I could trust God, but I, 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 I came to love other people. Well, I have a hard time to see that's a total transformation because you have to have character development. So you're, you're going to make mistakes on the way and get angry and upset. And Well, I did afterwards. It didn't mean I was instantly perfect. That's not the issue. The issue is that I, because I have a trusting relationship with God, I'm enabled to love my brothers oh, okay. and sisters. That's called a new birth. Right. So I'd, I'd like to look at... Um, I'm, I'm on this topic because of, of that verse in uh, Ephesians. Right. And so I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and point out something that a lot of people don't realize with 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm saved as soon as I trip up my trust in God. But the byproduct of that will be that I love my brother. Does that make sense now? Right, but you can still make mistakes. Oh, of course. Of course. I'm not saying I reach perfection. So you're not perfection yet, but so it's a process of moving towards that direction. But I, I, just from my own experience, the night I learned to trust God, that I could trust Him, the next day I went to church and I remember just loving everybody. And it was something new. I was like, wow, I really love everybody. So First uh, Corinthians 13, he, he describes love, what it is. Love never ends, verse 8. But as for prophecies, they come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see through a dark mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. He's saying love is the way to maturity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, with that, I want to I want to take all that and and read it with verse four, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's what makes us. It's not this checklist. It's not this um, trying to make sure that I never sin. Right. It is a love relationship with God. It is a trusting relationship with God that allows God to work in our lives and lead us. And that doesn't mean we do nothing. But it's a totally different way of doing things. Okay. So that we're, we're actually doing what is God designed us to do. 
doing works is not how God designed us. Right. That is, doing salvation. Works in order to gain salvation is not the way he designed us. So, if this is the process of what's going on, then what's being taught a lot of times is that Christ is mediating, covering us with his blood, blood and mediating to God, and wink, wink, we're all we're righteous. Like God doesn't really know what's going on. But, but that would make sense with this. This is a different kind of pattern. There's nothing to take to God to fool God. Yeah, I've, I, that I can't help but think of a song I wrote years ago about the judgment. It starts out, anyway, it has, uh, they bring out my own case before angels undisguised. I wait to see what God, no, I'm getting ahead of it. But there is a line that says, like, they tell, uh, my friends tell me that he covered me so God can't see how bad I've really been. And um, I've never, I've never bought that. I've, I've just never gotten that in my head, even as a child when I was kind of raised on it. I just, it, it didn't make sense to me. But the blood of Jesus represents two things. It represents his compassion, his, his mercy, his undying love for us, his sacrificial love. And it represents the truth of, that he died to demonstrate that sin is what leads to death and not God. So, Jesus... Where the two, go-to text for me for Jesus' mediation is in uh, Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to, this, to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Is this, not this a brand plucked to the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to him, Take off his filthy clothes. And he says, See, I have taken your guilt away from you, and I will clothe you with festival appearance. There's no Jesus standing before the Father and pleading no, with him. No. The accuser is not the Father. It's Satan. It's Satan. And by the way, the word Satan means accuser in Hebrew. If people would understand this around the world, think of how relieved they would be. We would have a different church. We would have a different church. This this whole understanding of how we see God and and the atonement and salvation and all those things is crucial to how we treat one another. Exactly. And so justification is setting us right. Yes. And sanctification is keeping us right. Keeping us right. Do you think the turn from Paul and what was going on in the world was the main turning point with Constantinople? Or do you think the main turning point historically was before? I'm not sure what you mean, turning point in well, what again? Where they believed God's law is like human's law, the punishment and Oh, the penal substitutionary yeah. model? Yeah. That started with Anselm. With who? Anselm. St. Anselm of Canterbury in the 12th, was it the 12th or 11th century? 
the 11th or 12th no it was the it was the 12th century he wrote his famous uh, treatment cur de de homus homo i can't say that right cur de cur deus homo i'm still not saying it right that's his uh, treatment when god became man and he took the feudal system which was popular in his day and he put it on to god that jesus died to save god's honor it was all it was about paying god the honor he was due on our behalf because we brought dishonor to him then calvinists and lutherans took that model and built on it and and modified it and, and tweaked it and it turned into the penal substitutionary model of atonement but as defined today i don't think it was quite as as matured as it is today there's a way in which i can say i believe the penal substitutionary model and that's to say when satan said you shall not surely die that left the question was god a liar when he said you will surely die and so jesus had to die the death that he said pronounced would happen and he died the death demonstrating that sin does lead to death yeah, right. so therefore he died that penalty if you want to use the word penalty for that death you can yeah, right. but it muddies the water because everybody thinks a penalty is imposed right. And and for that reason, I shy away from using that term. Yeah, they're going along with the idea that that's the way everything was designed. Yeah. Now, I guess I would have thought the big push would have been with Constantine when they had the meeting in his palace. Well, the bed, the the foundation of the forensic model was laid with Augustine. Oh, that's Augustine. That's right. And that, was- and that is with Constantine. I mean, you're, right. but it's Augustine who, who um, believed that when faced with the Donatists, who refused to go along with the union of church and state, they got persecuted badly and killed by order of, I think, Augustine. And they and Augustine claimed that in times like this it is necessary to use force. So the bedrock of penal substitution, the the foundation was probably laid with Augustine, and that would have been the fourth century. I've got a book that I haven't finished about his life and his marriage and his mother and the whole process that he went through. It's kind of interesting. It's a pretty detailed book. And I'm trying to remember if it's a bio, uh, biography. Well, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to read the last half of this chapter because it's going to take us a long time. Unless we can do it quickly. I'll go ahead and read it. Okay. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. Note, knowing him. Mm -hmm. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, 
you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. See, the power here is not the power he mentions that he's above. Mm. It's the power of love. God put his power to work in Christ. Let's see. I've already read that. And he put all things under his feet and has made him the head of all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. Now, head, the word Greek for head does not mean the head of the state kind of head. Mm. It's kafale, and it means the source, head as in the source. The source, okay. So we're talking qualitatively a different kind of authority, different kind of power, Mm -hmm. different kind of rule. Because it's... It's the source, and you're talking about love, but one thing we don't talk much about is God is total intelligence and knowledge. So that source is from his intelligence. But that there is no intelligence apart from love. God is, I see God as one perfect whole. Right. And the it's, core yeah. right. is love. That uh, His intelligence and his, his um, power and his... Uh, presence are tools that are used by his love. His love is embedded in his wisdom. That you can't sub, you can't you can't separate God into all these parts that we love to do. Uh, he's one perfect whole. There's one thing I want to point out uh, in Daniel two. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up another kingdom. It shall never be destroyed. And it, nor shall this kingdom be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw the stone that was cut out from the mountain not by hands, and that it crushed the iron and the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has informed the king of what shall be there hereafter. Most translations translate without human hands, but not by human hands. But it's not by hands. And hand in Hebrew means power. This is actually Aramaic. It means the same thing in Aramaic. It's the same word. It means power, not by power. Mm, Not by power. So you have Zechariah 3, not by power. Zechariah 4, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, Mm. says the Lord. That's so important to all of this discussion of atonement and everything. What I've learned to do when I did my master's thesis on Romans, I had to interpret Paul by Paul because he nowhere embraces, and elsewhere, outside of Romans, he nowhere embraces penal substitution or Jesus pleading with the Father to love us. He embraces a totally different kind of reconciliation, God reconciling us in Christ. The whole process is our reclamation. We're the ones that are hostile and angry and right. implacable. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, our time is up. How do we get through a...
whole chapter so fast. I mean, I was on a roll.